Should criminal charges be laid over Laurentian University's financial crisis? Opipon Napiwin Cree Nation declares a state of emergency after three deaths in two weeks. BC's Human Rights Commission has found that there was a spike in racist incidents at the start of the pandemic, and 100,000 jeepney drivers in the Philippines go on strike to protest how the government is trying to make their industry more sustainable. Good morning. It's Wednesday, March 8th. I'm Nora. It's International Women's Day. Yay. Can you hear me being cynical? Sorry about that. Here are your headlines for today. We start this morning in Sudbury. Again, weren't we just there? The crisis at Laurentian University has not gotten enough attention. In April 2021, the university experienced a massive financial crisis. The result? Nearly 200 faculty and staff lost their jobs, programs were shuttered, and a lot of students found themselves completely shit out of luck. It was especially confusing as, since Laurentian is a public university, the financial crisis showed just how easy it was for incompetence to sink one of Canada's public universities. Now, Ruben Roth and Eduardo Galliano Riveros, two professors who were at Laurentian during the crisis, have called for an investigation into whether or not there was criminal wrongdoing. The request was made to the Attorney General. They are responding to an Auditor General report that has found some pretty severe financial mismanagement. For example, two executives of the university were given pay increases during 2020 and 2021 that far exceeded the public sector wage freeze legislation that had been put in place by the provincial government. Then there was a $2.4 million fund that the Auditor General pointed to as being a problem, where senior administrators were able to get funding for things like personal smartwatches, high-end tablets, or Spanish lessons. The president of the Faculty Association, Fabrice Collin, agrees that the Attorney General should investigate Laurentian's leadership. Classically, the leadership of Laurentian says that they're too focused on the future to worry about past things. I mean, the president didn't say that exactly, but she did say that she's focused on the future and therefore couldn't really respond, I guess, to the call. Knowing how important Laurentian is to Sudbury and what a disaster it was for so many faculty and staff to be forced out of their careers there and to find work in other parts of Canada, I sure hope that the profs, the staff and the students at or formally at Laurentian University get some justice. Now to Opipan Napiwin Cree Nation, which is about 130 kilometers to the north of Thompson in Manitoba. They have declared a state of emergency. The community of just over 1,000 people has had three deaths in the past two weeks. Chief Shirley Descharmes has called on both levels of government to send crisis supports for people who are dealing with trauma, addiction, and poor mental health. Leadership from the community and also from Manitoba Kiwatanoi Okamakinak are calling for more housing, a healing center, and more community supports. One of the deaths was Noreen Tate, who was 47. She had been assaulted. Another woman who had died had gotten stuck with her snowmobile and died from exposure to the elements. This community has dealt with flooding for years, thanks to Hydro Manitoba and how they dam and release the Churchill River. In 2021, the government approved a new diversion program, which has resulted in major water surges into the South Indian Lake. 
As a result, the Cree Nation has lost shoreline to erosion. It's been a disaster for the local fishing industry as docks, floating docks and boats are damaged or it becomes more difficult to put boats into the lake. Water has also damaged the two roads that enter the community. Next to British Columbia, where CBC's Rihanna Schmunk is reporting that hate-related incidences, quote, rose exponentially, unquote, in 2020. This is a new finding from BC's Human Rights Commission. I mean, it isn't exactly new information. There have been reports consistently from 2020 and beyond that have demonstrated that the earliest days of the pandemic fueled a rise in hate. But this information is coming from a new report. Commissioner Kesari Govender said that the early days of the pandemic, early half of 2020, was a period filled with hateful incidences. Though for some reason, right after the paragraph is followed by one that I guess is supposed to make people feel better, that the public awareness around racism has grown. If we're digging into a mine looking for a silver lining, I guess that might have been it. Anyway, Governor's report follows a public inquiry into hate and its roots. She found that where police and government mostly failed to hold people to account, community-based organizations like crisis centers to support folks fleeing gender-based violence did a much better job. Hate crimes reporting rose too, again, something that has been previously identified. But Governor found that there was a 35% rise in reported hate crimes in 2020. Police-reported crimes that specifically targeted Asians rose 482%, and those that targeted Black people rose by 115%. The commission estimated that only a quarter of hate incidences were reported to police, and of those, only six people were charged with hate crimes. Of those six, only three people were actually convicted. So, of an estimated 20,000 hate crimes— only three people were actually convicted of a hate crime. You know, when we talk about police convictions being rare, well, let's not pretend that there aren't similar kinds of patterns in the general population too. Of course, those patterns tend to follow people who look most like the police. And finally, to the Philippines, where a massive strike is an important reminder of the need to include workers in any discussion related to a just transition. Al Jazeera reports that about 100,000 jeepney drivers had gone on strike over the government's plans to phase them out. Jeepneys are the most ubiquitous form of public transportation in the Philippines. They reach back to the end of World War II when Filipinos repurposed U.S. jeeps that were left after the war into public minibuses. The problem is that jeepneys pollute a lot. In 2017, a program was announced to replace the diesel-based vehicles that are more than 15 years old with cleaner minibuses. They would also consolidate operators and drivers into cooperatives. The chairperson of Piston, one of the Jeepneys unions, Modesto Floranda, said, quote, the government is massacring our livelihood. The system sounds a lot like how Canadian taxis work. A franchise holder usually owns at least one Jeepney and then hires other drivers to run the routes. The government argues that with a cooperative model, things will be more efficient. Except drivers have to pay to replace their vehicles at a cost of about $50,000 US. The government has only offered to subsidize 5.7% of the costs. Now, to put that into perspective, jeepney drivers do not make very much money. One driver that Al Jazeera talked to said he brings home about $3.60 per day after expenses. 
There's another angle here too. The modern jeepneys are being built in partnership with Hino Toyota, Hyundai, and Fuso Mitsubishi. So the drivers are warning that in addition to the attacks on their livelihoods, their industry is also being taken over by foreign car manufacturers. Those are your headlines for today. It is Wednesday, March 8th. As I said, it's International Women's Day. And you know what? Why not make today a day that you take on the transphobes, that you tell them to eat shit, that you organize and support your trans sisters and your trans siblings, and that we make IWD a political day. Forget this corporate women feminism bullshit. I hope you have a great IWD.